Nervous Habits. How's it going, guys? Welcome to Nervous Habits. I am going to cut straight to the point. Uh, Much like last year, the pod is going to have to go on a brief uh, four to maybe six-week hiatus um, through the end of the year because, uh, if you don't know, I am a full-time law student, so this is the time of the semester when you know we need to buckle down and get ready for final exams, and that unfortunately commands you know 300% of my attention. So I won't have the bandwidth to write, record, plan, prepare, produce, edit <laughs> all the fun stuff that goes into the making of these podcasts. I won't have time to do that um, this month or next month while I uh, you know. Get, get set for my final exams and this uh, you know this semester is really important. I think I've mentioned in past episodes, but because of what happened in the spring with uh, COVID, the semester you know in the spring essentially didn't really count towards our grade. We all got a, a pass for the semester. And so for purposes of recruitment and um, hopefully eventually latching on with, uh, an employer after school. If I'm lucky, I, you know, need to really put my best fo- foot forward this semester, and so that's why um, the pod's gonna, you know, take some time off. That being said, I do want to chat with you guys for um, I don't know how this, how long this is gonna be. Maybe like 20, 30 minutes. I say that knowing that you know, uh, or as you guys know, I can. I can, you know, hit record and look at my watch and realize, wow, you know, two hours have gone by. It's funny. I recorded that uh, bonus episode a while back, um, the longest episode of Nervous Habits ever, the one that was around three hours long. And for some reason, that episode got more streams and downloads than any other episode from the last, yeah, like the last 15, 20 episodes. So it's, it's funny, you know. I guess some people, um, some people just, I guess, responded to that. Um, you know, while you're while you're working out or doing dishes or going on a walk or um, you know just just relaxing, just vegging out, listening to a podcast in the background. So, so I guess the first thing to to note is we have a new president. You guys, President Elect um, Biden was obviously, uh, you know that. President-elect Biden um, was elected. That became formal uh, back in the first weekend of November. I think I, I alluded to that at the beginning of the last episode. And you know, to take you back to that week, I remember Tuesday night we had something of an election night party in my apartment. We had a bunch of people over thinking we'd have a result. Um, and it became clear that it would take a couple of days. Um, and then – you know, as I tried to like juggle work and keeping up with readings and outlines and all that fun law school stuff, I found myself every 10, 15 minutes getting up, checking the TV, you know, seeing a key race alert on CNN or um, a, a projection. Um, and what's funny is CNN, every, you know, 30 minutes they would say, oh, you know, we're getting some, some uh, you know, we should see some new numbers from Arizona. Arizona might be called tonight. Pennsylvania might be called tonight. We think this could be it. But it dragged on all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and then Saturday morning, I heard those cheers at 11.30 in the morning from outside my, bit, my window, and you knew that, uh, that it was official. Um, and, you know, I will say, going back to the the night 
of Election Day on Tuesday, I think a lot of people I think there was there was sort of this this duality because a lot of people you know thought that it would be a landslide victory for Biden. A lot of people thought you know, they looked at the polls from 538 and a lot of the major major media networks had come out and said, you know, there was an 89% chance that Biden would win, an 11% chance Trump would win. So a lot of people just expected Biden to trounce Trump. On the other hand, you had people who had a pit in their stomach thinking back to 2016, knowing the polls were unreliable, knowing that anything could happen, knowing that maybe Trump might, you know, have been reelected. And I remember watching the election night returns with my friends. And at the beginning of the night, I think I fell into the former group of, yeah, you know, I don't think this is going to be close. I've, I've looked at the polls. 2016 was a, a black swan event. It's not something that, that you know, might, would happen again. But then as, you know, Trump started to win these states that, you know, should have been, um, that Biden was expected to win, like Florida and, you know, people had said, oh, maybe Texas will be close. Well, Trump won Texas. And Eventually, it was like, at one point, Trump had a lead, and, and a lot of the Vegas odds had him actually winning the election, and I sort of mentally prepared myself for this to happen again, for us to be you know, faced with four more years of Donald Trump. And who knows? I mean, if he would have been reelected, that's what I was telling my friend when we were commiserating over the results. It could have been, you know, what's to, who's to say it wouldn't have been a, a third term of Trump. There was actually a... A, uh, an, an ad, a pretty effective ad that the Lincoln Project put out. And they, you know, they created some amazing content on behalf of, uh, of President-elect Biden where one of the ads was a, a, a kid that was waiting up in his bed for the results of the election and says, who won the election? And the mom goes, Trump. And the kid says, but I thought you could only be president for two terms. And the mom goes, not anymore. And it was so eerie and ominous and I don't know. I, I think I'm not going to you know re, relitigate all of the defects from Trump's presidency. I think they've been well documented. But all you have to do is see the reaction around the world um, or even around America to see just how just how invested I think people were in the outcome of the election. And um, it was almost like you know, speaking to to friends on Twitter and in other countries um, who don't have democratic regimes, it was almost like the fall of a dictatorship. I mean, not not at all to say that Trump's a dictator, but the reaction of people, you know, frolicking in the streets. And um, you know, I w- I'm in D.C. and I went downtown with a couple of friends. People were spraying champagne. They were singing. They were dancing. They had signs up. Um, it was just a celebration. It was like a so, you know, s- someone said it was like your team had won the World Series. That sort of reaction. And in Washington, D.C., ironically, it's funny. You know, this is one of Trump's homes, you know, being the president, living in in the White House. He got 90 or excuse me, he got 3 percent of the vote. (laughs) Biden got 97 percent, which is like unthinkable, that margin. But then there were also celebrations in New York and in Philadelphia, Philadelphia being the city that delivered the decisive victory. Um, And, you know, in, in L.A. and um, all across the country. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that just goes to show you, like, there's been so much said and written about the election, but something that stuck with me is the, 
that feeling of, of hopelessness when Trump was elected in 2016 and he immediately began to disparage people of color and Muslim people and people from, you know, immigrants from other countries and say just nasty, terrible things about them. And just knowing that under President Biden, you can wake up that, you know, now that Biden, President-elect Biden had won the election, it's easier to be a person of color in America. It's easier to be a woman in America. It's easier to be a Muslim person in America or an immigrant. Knowing that your president doesn't, you know, doesn't hate your kind. Your president doesn't, um, you know, want you to go back to your country. Uh, I think the message that it sends to children, you know, that you, you, that people like that, you know, people who are intolerant, people who are bigoted, you know, they don't deserve to be the leader of the free world. Um, I think that this was very much a, you know, decency, morality were on the ballot, character was on the ballot, and I think that it, I think that people recognized that, um, you know, I mean, this was this election. I think had the highest voter turnout in 120 years, something like that. So it was amazing. I mean, for for both parties, that uh, Republicans, Democrats, Independents came out and had their voices heard. Um, you know, and and uh, President-elect Biden got 74 million people voting for him, which is which is you know incredible that you know that that he was able to invigorate and bring together Democrats and, and win over some former Republican Trump supporters. And on the Trump side, I mean, you know, 71 million people voted for President Trump. That's even more votes than he got in 2016. And I think that, I mean, for me, I, I sort of didn't understand as I was watching the returns on election night and seeing state after state go red um, voting for President Trump, I, I, I didn't understand. I guess I understood in 2016, you know, the populist movement, the working class, blue collar felt like they weren't heard. But I sort of thought, okay, after the pandemic, you know, maybe people who supported Trump would understand a little bit, you know, better that his lack of, of leadership had cost Americans their lives and, you know, his failure to bring people together during the civil unrest. But I don't know, like the more I've thought about it, I guess I'm starting to understand why those people, those millions of people voted for President Trump. I I do think that, you know, like I alluded to in 2016 and again in 2020, Democrats still have not won over the working class. I think middle America feels like the Democratic Party is the party of the coastal elites, is the party of the New Yorkers and the Californians. Um, and these people feel ignored. These people feel like they're not represented by the Washington swamp. And despite all of Trump's stumbles, you know, despite they call him Teflon Don because no matter what he does, no matter how badly he screws up, his supporters are still going to go to bat for him. Um, and on top of that, I also think there are elements of the Democratic Party that uh, – that have alienated people on the right and people in the center, like the tendency of folks on the far left to, you know, police speech or to virtue signal or moralize. And this is something I've spoken about in the pod. I did a whole episode early on. This was, I think, episode 14 about PC culture and um, 
while I think it is present, you know, everywhere, I do think it's more aligned with, um, you know, democratic values than Republican values. I am not, by the way, I'm not condoning, um, you know, folks, millions of people supporting Trump for this reason. I'm just trying to understand, you know, how in spite of everything that's happened in the last four years, the laundry list of, um, you know, of his foibles and shortcomings from inject, you know, telling people to inject bleach in their bodies to that comment about George, George Floyd looking down and smiling at the jobs report to, you know, go, you know, the, to the, the squad in Congress telling them to go back to their country. Um, just relentless attacks on anyone and everyone. Like I'm trying to understand how, in spite of all that, he's, he'll still get votes. And I think the best explanation has to be this, this, feeling of alienation and feeling left behind by the Democratic Party. So I yeah, I'm trying I'm like I, I've I've tried to understand, but I think that President elect Biden's rhetoric so far has been pitch perfect in coming out and saying, I'm not gonna be a Democratic president. I'm not gonna be a Republican president. I'm gonna be a president for everybody. Um, you know, it's it's not about if you voted for me or if you didn't. I, I want to bring the country together because, like he said, I mean, and, and like you know, it's apparent. Like we are deeply, deeply divided right now. Perhaps as divided as we've been in you know decades, maybe a century. Um, now, not everyone believes that there is a clear outcome to this election. I mean. President Trump never conceded. At the time that this is recorded in mid-November, President Trump still has not conceded the election. He's um, filed, you know, lawsuits in three states. I think he's been laughed out of court in Wisconsin and Michigan and maybe even Pennsylvania. Um, he's alleged that there are there's voter fraud, there's been voter intimidation, voter suppression, but with basically no evidence. Um, and these state courts have, you know, emphatically rejected his, um, his suits as, as being frivolous, you know, and as now that I'm in law school, I sort of, you know, understand the ramifications of filing a frivolous lawsuit. Like these lawyers that are, that, that are filing this, these suits on his behalf, they might get sanctioned under rule 11 for essentially wasting the court's time with, with fabricated litigation. And I understand that, you know, President Trump has the right to to a recount. I understand that he's litigious and he's going to do everything he can to to stay in this race for whatever reason. But everyone close to him is sort of starting to realize, you know what? This is over. You know, Biden won democratically. He got 74 million votes. He got 300 plus um, delegates. And... Honestly, it's it's a little embarrassing that you're, you know, refusing to go off into the sunset quietly. Um, and folks who are sticking with President Trump right now, you know, these lawyers that are aligning themselves with him, that are taking up these fights in court. I don't know that it's it's gonna do wonders for their reputation now or in the future. There's a reason why a lot of firms don't want to touch these cases and, you know, don't want to take up a losing battle. Um, it's just like, do you want to be on a, the side of history that 
tries to delegitimize the results of a perfectly democratic election. You know, it was actually watching on TV, I think, I can't remember if this was before or after Biden declared victory. I think it was right before Biden declared victory, like the day before, watching him come on TV and do a press conference and say, he started off and he said, I won this election easily. I easily won. I easily won this election. The vote was fixed. This was a rigged election. It was a sad, sad day for democracy when the leader of, you know, the free world, the leader of the the heart and soul of the world, right? The the America the beautiful, you know, the the model democratic republic for the entire world is refusing to accept the results of a democratic election. This is the, the kind of thing you'd expect from an autocrat, from a tyrant in totalitarian regimes in North Korea or in China or in Russia. Um, so that that was hard. And it also, I mean, it, it brought up something that I acknowledged. I don't, if anyone here listened to the bonus episode with um, right before the election, Myself and a couple of my buddies did a bonus episode and we were talking about what to expect. And I brought up the point of, well, like, what are we going to do if Trump refuses to accept the results? Like, how do we actually, you know, transition him over? Like, how do we get him out of office? And it's funny. Actually, I made a YouTube video. If you guys want to check it out on the Nervous Habits Podcast YouTube account where I sort of played the audio from my podcast and I juxtapose it against the audio from Trump's press conference, and he ended up saying the same, the same things that we thought he would say with, ah, you know, I don't accept the results of the election. Ah, it was fixed. It doesn't count. It's fake news. The media, the media can't call the results of the election. CNN can't call the results of the election. And I was worried at the time. I'm like, well, how do we get President Trump to leave if he refuses? And then I've been reading up on it, and apparently... The Secret Service had a meeting back in, I want to say August, where they agreed that they would um, respect the results of the election, meaning they wouldn't answer to President Trump anymore. They would, you know, if President Trump was victorious, he would be their president and they would serve at his pleasure. If he if he um, was not victorious, which he was not, then they would ensure the transition of President Biden. And that means that on January 20th, when President Trump's term is up, he will be escorted out of the White House. Whether or not Trump will actually have to be physically picked up and escorted out of the White House onto the sidewalk as a civilian remains to be seen. For his sake, I really hope that it doesn't come to that. Because that's just, you know, talk about a fall from grace. We In American history, we've never had a uh, such a contentious uh, transition. You know, we've always had peaceful protests, even when it was, you know, change in parties. So I think it's it's sad when you have a one-term president that refuses to leave. That I mean, he's going to, it's mid-November now, he's going to drag this out as long as he can, probably till Christmas, maybe till New Year's. On January 20th, he'll still be tweeting, Oh, it was a faked election. I easily won. I easily won. <sighs> um, sorry, I, I'm like, 
I'm rambling about this. I mean, uh, we're, we're already we're already like 20 minutes in, but um, you know, I'm rambling about this because I mean, it's it's current. This just happened, but it just upsets me, you know, like. And this is this is why, but this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of thing that that's engendered the reaction of people around the world, um, because Trump has just made a mock, mockery, complete mockery of the office of the presidency. And thankfully, thankfully, our allies around the world have, um, you know, begun to publicly express their congratulations to President-elect. Biden and, and Vice President Harris, um, and you know, wish them well. Our allies in Germany, in the UK, in France, in Israel, in Canada, in Australia—they've all publicly said, "Congratulations, President-elect Biden. We look forward to working with you." Why is that important? Well, the entire world has accepted the fact that Trump is no longer the president, even if he has not. And you know, that's critical because if the other, if the if the rest of the world just sort of sat on their hands and said, "Oh, let America sort this out." That would probably give Trump a little ammunition. Like, look, the rest of the world doesn't believe that the election's over. Like, why should I? Um, of course, you know, country. Wait, <laughs> shit. Uh, you guys, I just so <laughs> you guys, I've spent the last I want to say thirty minutes rambling and laughing and and just going on and on about all sorts of like bullshit. And then I look at my computer and my audacity program is just it's like frozen. It's just not recording. And I realized that the last 25, 30 minutes of my podcast, I've been speaking to myself and, and, you know, God, uh, my maker, um, and maybe my neighbor, if, if he can hear me. Oh, let me play a sad song for you on the world's smallest violin. So that, so now, now I have to, now I'm going to, uh, sort of try to remember what I said and what I didn't say. Um, man, it's, it's a, it's a really shitty feeling when you're, and this has happened to me. I've been podcasting for, I think almost, I'm coming up in two years, maybe three. Did I start this in 2018? I don't even know. Or 2019. Uh, I want to say I started this. Why do I not know this? I feel like I should know this. I started this in 20, January of 2019. Um, so I'm coming up in two years and this has happened to me four or five times. So it's not super common where, um, for one reason or the other, I'm recording and I lose it and it sucks and it's shitty. It's one of the worst. Fe- it's probably up there with like writing an essay and losing and like deleting it and having to rewrite the essay or I don't know. It's, this is, this sucks. Okay. Sorry. So, um, for the rest of the world that didn't hear <laughs> what I talked about. So we let, uh, the last thing I think that was recorded was we were talking about um, how the like the rest of the world, you know, uh, the UK, France, uh, Canada, Australia congratulated President-elect Biden, which is amazing because it gives the Biden administration legitimacy as opposed to, you know, if they had said nothing, then it would have been, you know, implicit, explicit acknowledgement of what had, what had happened, what had transpired. Um, and, you know, of course, America's, you know, enemies, of course, the Chinas, Russia's, Iran's of the world, they've stayed quiet because they're perfectly content with, um, you know, with American turmoil, with Trump contesting the results of the election. And um, they certainly don't want President-elect Biden because they're, you know, happy with the state of disarray of American politics. 
What was I going to say here? I'm all jumbled. And I, I also think it's interesting, you know, just as we, we look at the Republican Party and where it goes from here, the biggest, I think Trump, and, and I've said this before, and, and lots of people have said this, Trump is not the problem. Trump is a symptom of the problem, you know, the the evils of the Republican Party. And I think that you see that by their enabling of him, by their refusal to condemn him when he makes a mistake or call him out when he says, you know, tells people to go back to their country or, you know, uh, just defiles the CDC and, and Dr. Fauci and talks about how COVID isn't real. It's a hoax. And, you know, he feels 20 years younger because he got coronavirus. They don't step in and say, Mr. President, maybe you shouldn't say that. They don't say, oh, we don't agree with President Trump. They don't correct him. They don't admonish him. They just stand in line. They explicitly and implicitly condone and endorse what he says. Even, even when he goes up to the stage for the press conference, like he did a couple weeks ago, and he says, I won the election easily. I easily won the election. It was rigged. Even when he spits on and desecrates and annihilates our democratic system. The Republicans say nothing. You know, the Republican Party claims to stand for freedom and and, um, and the Constitution. But at the end of the day, actions speak louder than words. And um, it, they've hitched their wagon to Trump. You know, President Trump got 71 million votes in 2020, and that is the most ever by a Republican candidate for president. And so, you know, I think from their point of view, Trump still has a loyal base of tens of millions of supporters. And if he decides to run again in 2024, I think they'll encourage it. I think they'll support him. I don't think they'll, you know, pit someone against him for the nomination. Do I think Trump wants to be president again? Absolutely not. I mean... (laughs) I don't think Trump wanted to be president in the first place. I think he just wanted to win because it's validating, you know, and, and it makes him feel adequate. Um, you know, for him, it's it's always been about the victory. It hasn't been about what comes after the victory. You know, he just wanted to, to win the race. He didn't want to actually serve the position. I think that after, you know, in the next year or so, I think he's going to pivot back to entertainment, try to you know, uh, start his Trump TV brand or whatever. And hopefully we don't hear from him again. You know, I can't imagine the President Trump presidential library. I can't imagine Trump, you know, being a part of the ex-presidents club with, um, you know, President Obama and and President Bush and um, Jimmy Carter and, and, you know, all the great Bill Clinton, all the great living presidents. I can't imagine him, you know, being invited or wanting to be a part of that. So uh, it's. I think that you know, there's been a lot of harm done during the the Trump presidency. I'm a big, big fan of uh, you know presidential history and ranking the presidents, and um, I do think that when historians look back on the Trump the Trump presidency, especially when they've had the benefit of hindsight. You know, after Biden serves his term, after we're out from under this pandemic, and people look back at, you know, President Trump's actions, what he said, what he did, what he didn't say, what he didn't do. I think that this will be a stain on American history. And, um, 
you know, I, I do think that we're moving in a positive direction. I think that, you know, 2020 has been a, a really shitty year. And no matter who was president, it would have been a shitty year given the circumstances. But I think that we, you know, I think that, I think that things are going to get better. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but uh, I don't know if this was I'm like confused. Did I mention it? Did I not mention it? The whole thing with the the transition. I I do think the next couple months will be critical for you know for America. Obviously, it's mid November now. If President Trump wants to spend his last seventy days in office, you know, complaining and and just sort of like crying into the void about how the election was fixed and not actually serve as president of the United States, that's on him. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we, the American public is going to suffer, but we can't force him to serve. I follow someone on Twitter that uh, publicizes Trump's agenda every day because it's it's you know made public to the American American people, and he hasn't had anything on his agenda for the last week. You know, Monday, November 9th, Tuesday the tenth, Wednesday the eleventh, it's just been blank. You know, golfing and and sitting at home watching Fox News. Or actually not even Fox News anymore because now ever since Fox News called the election for President-elect Biden, Trump has, has boycotted them. Now it's just one American news network and Newsmax. So I, I think the sooner that we can get President-elect Biden, um, you know, give him the, the, give him the reins, the better, the better off that we'll be um, because these are time-sensitive issues. You know, developing a vaccine for the pandemic, you know, getting – Health professionals, epidemiologists, virologists, immunologists, getting their opinion, giving them a seat at the table, not castigating them as Trump did, uh, addressing civil unrest, racial unrest, um, climate change, uh, rebuilding the economy, infrastructure. These are things that need to be done now, not in January, now. So as I said, it's you, you know, would wish, you'd hope that Trump would be willing to work with Biden as Bush was willing to work with Obama and as Clinton was willing to work with Bush, but it doesn't look that way. So, um, the last thing I'll say about politics, cause like you guys know, like I could talk about this, like literally just a two hour, just, uh, off the top, like improv conversation on, um, the state of politics following the election. But I think so, sort of one of the other results of this election has been some momentum in potential electoral reform. You know, you saw a lot of mail, mail-in ballots, uh, obviously, this election cycle. And I think that might be a permanent part of the um, elections moving forward. I was reading that a lot of, you know, folks in academia in this field don't think we'll ever find out the results of an election on election day again, because if millions of people are sending mail-in ballots, it's probably going to take, you know, a week week or two, much like in this case, to figure out who, who won. The other thing is I think, you know, you're you're also starting to hear about uh potential momentum for a change to the electoral college. Now, I don't think this is feasible. I don't think this is gonna happen, but Democrats won the popular vote in twenty sixteen. Uh Hillary Clinton had more votes than uh President Trump, but Trump had more electoral votes, so he won the presidency. This year, you know, for a while, the popular vote was close. Then Biden pulled away. But you, you know, you might have had another situation where someone won the popular vote but lost the presidency. And I think people are just realizing that it's not exactly sensible, right? I mean, look, I see the rationale because 
you know, if you did have a one-person, one-vote system, um, then, you know, states like New York and California that have by far, you know, that are the most popular in the country, those states would decide the election every year. And I actually, let me check. I'm curious what the, what the numerical breakdown is. Let's check. So as of 2020, California is about 40 million. Then Texas is 30 million. Florida, New York at 20 million. So, I mean, just right there, you'd have those states, um, California, Texas, Florida, New York, by far those four states would pretty much control the outcome of the election. Whereas states like, you know, people living in Wyoming, Vermont, and D.C., five, uh, about 600,000, uh, 600,000, 620,000, and 700,000 respectively, those states would have pretty much no say. Um, I think that's, a legitimate fear of abolishing the electoral college. Um, but on the other hand, you know, why should someone's vote in Wyoming or Vermont count 20 times more than someone's vote in California or Texas? That doesn't really make sense either. You know, it, it is extremely difficult to pass a constitutional amendment. Uh, so I don't foresee a change, but I think, you know, people are in 2020, people are very woke. You know, you, you saw this, obviously, uh, with the crazy high turnout and everyone was, was voting and it was like a cool thing to do. So people are all of a sudden like, you know, studying the electoral math. It's it's like a, a hot topic to say like, wow, you know, who, who do you think will get the 20 delegates in this day? Oh, I don't know. It's like Nevada's only got six. It's, you know, 12 and, um, you know, 20 in Pennsylvania. It's it's like, it's, it's cool to be smart now. Um, it wasn't when I was a kid. And so... Anyway, where am I? Where am I going with this? I don't. I don't think there's going to be a change, but there's definitely momentum there. And uh, look, if we want to take a positive from the 2020 election, we had the highest voter turnout since 1908, I believe. That was when 66% of eligible voters voted. Right now, actually, it wasn't since 1908. It was looks like since 1960. Look, it's the highest voter turnout in a long time. So it's whether you're Democrat or Republican, Trump got the most votes ever for a Republican nominee. Biden got the most votes ever for a uh, Democratic nominee. So that that's really cool. It's it's great that people are, you know, civically minded and, and they're taking an interest in in politics. Um so it's midnight as I record this. I'm gonna take a sip of coffee. Don't judge me. I gotta stop drinking caffeine late at night though, because I think it's uh I think it's been it's been catching up with me. I think my, my low caffeine tolerance, or rather my, my high caffeine tolerance is starting to catch up with me. So uh, that's that's the 2020 election. You know, uh, in 30, 40 years, we'll be telling our kids, our kids, our grandkids, you know, remember when uh, when I stayed up all night for five days in law school so I could, you know, watch Anderson Cooper call President Trump an obese turtle on his back, flailing his arms. I think it it is and was the most consequential election of our lifetimes. It was obviously a referendum on Trump and uh, in the middle of a, you know, uh, it's certainly impactful. And on the note of the pandemic, I mean, when, when, you know, we found out that coronavirus had spread to America back in February, late February, early March, I remember thinking, all right, this'll this'll go on for a month, maybe, maybe like maybe like 
two months tops till we'll wait. Someone will come up with a vaccine. Um, maybe it'll just go away. Maybe it won't spread. But we're in November now. It's been eight months. There's reason to believe it's going to be like this for a long, long time. You know, I hope that everyone listening is getting used to their masks because I don't know when it's going to be where we won't have to – God, my diction's terrible at this time of night. I don't know how long it's going to be until we're no longer able to wear masks, until we can wear masks, until we can not wear masks. So yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know. And, and this week actually Pfizer came out and they said that they developed a vaccine that had a 90% effectiveness, which is incredible. And considering the American government paid them $2 billion, <laughs> it's it's about time that, you know, or I, I guess not it's about time, but it, it's just, it's great news. It's funny. They they came out and they said, oh, you know, it's going to be free to the American public. And all these people were like, wow, that's so generous of Pfizer. It's like, no, your your tax dollars are paying for, for this vaccine. So it remains to be seen how it's going to be uh, distributed and, you know, is it going to be high risk populations get it first, elderly people get it second? Like what's the... You know it, the 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 breakdown there. I'm actually in a, a bioethics class in law school, and we had a, a nice debate about global health justice and the normative justifications for distributing a, a vaccine amongst populations. And uh, yeah, it, it it sounds kind of boring, but it was really it was really interesting. So yeah, we'll see. You know what happens with the vaccine, but I I expect that it's going to be like this. You know for for at least you know much of much of next year. Uh, I'm hoping that by the time the summer of 2021 rolls around, um, we have some some strand of normalcy that we're uh, heading towards. But yeah, I had so much more energy when I recorded this, um, man. So uh, let's see, November, no shave November. I I did that a couple years ago. All right, I've actually tried it a number of times, but. It's a little bit embarrassing. I can't really grow a uh, a beard, and so I end up with this like half-ass mustache with like a couple, like a dozen stray hairs on my chin. It's it's not attractive at all. Um, so no shave November does not work for me. Uh, I am also getting my wisdom teeth out pretty soon. I don't know if everyone listening has had their wisdom teeth taken out or you know. It, if they can just live with the wisdom teeth, but mine have been coming in for a while and now they're impacted. So they're causing pain in the back of my, of my uh, mouth by my jaw. And initially I had planned to get them taken out. I think it was this, this weekend or last weekend, but I was worried about doing it in the middle of semester and having to recover and all, all that fun stuff. So I decided to put it off to next year. Yeah. Hopefully that goes okay. Um, what else is going on? What else has been going on what what events what updates oh so uh the new york mets my new york mets have a new owner so the will ponds are gone and mr steve cohen aka uncle steve is now the owner of the mets he had a press conference um uh, last week where he just talked about how you know he's not looking to make money off the team this guy has 14 billion dollars he doesn't care about making money off the team. He doesn't care about treating it as a business. He just wants to make millions of fans happy. He's a uh, He said he was a, a lifelong Met fan, used to sit in the bleachers of Shea Stadium and watch the game with his dad. And it just sounded like he was one of us. I mean, it just sounded like he's a fan who happened to have $14 billion to invest in the team. And I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm 
extremely excited. Uh, like I, <laughs> I can't even contain my excitement because part of the reason why the Mets have been the laughing stock of sports really for the last couple decades is because of the ownership, the the Wilpons. Um, because they, you know, lost. If you don't know, the the Wilpons lost were hit pretty hard by the Madoff by the Birdie Madoff Ponzi scheme in 2008, and as a result. They became very stingy with investing in players on the Mets. Um, they were cutting payroll year after year, and they were meddling in baseball operations. They, you know, they were micromanaging. They were like helicopter owners. Uh, there was like a joke that Jeff Wilpon, the owner of the Mets, was writing out the lineup card every night, um, and you know that's why you saw PR fiasco and circus after PR fiasco. It's just it never ended, and so to flip the page. And get an owner like Steve Cohen, who literally sounds like an ordinary guy, um, who's willing to spend money on the team and let the baseball experts handle the decisions. It's it's incredible. Um, I uh, people were joking on Twitter, like, "Wow, we got rid of you know the Wilpons, and we got rid of uh, of President Trump the same weekend, and um, we got Steve Cohen and President like Biden." And it's it's true. It's like the the future twenty twenty one is bright for baseball fans and for Americans um let's hope that you know by the time base the baseball season starts again in April late March early April of 2021 we'll be allowed to go to the stadium the Dodgers were in the World Series um I think the stadium was at like 25 percent capacity or something so they were letting a quarter of people in with masks and whatnot so I don't know I mean I think that's I do think people would have to wear masks, but it'd be nice to, you know, sit in center field with with your buddies on a cool, breezy spring evening, drink a, a cold beer and have a hot dog. Um, watch watch the Mets. Like it doesn't get any better than that, and I'm hoping that we get the chance to do that again this uh, this spring. But yeah, I mean, you know, 2020. I think that every year since 2016, people have sort of complained and said, this is the longest year ever, right? Like 2016 with the Trump election, you heard people say, oh, this year will never end. And then you had the Comey firing and the Mueller investigation. And then people were like, oh, 2017 will never end. And then you had the Trump impeachment and um, all the various scandals and um, since then. And people people have, have essentially you know, looked to the next year and said, oh, please, you know, will 2018 be better than 2017? Will 2019 be better than 2018? Especially with 2020, people were pumped. It's the beginning of a new decade. There was there was new excitement and invigoration. But like, objectively, this is the worst year we've had in, God, I mean, in my lifetime. Like, the entire world is at a standstill. You know, society has been effectively closed down because of this pandemic. And... I mean, no one, no one has been unaffected by this. On top of that, you know, we've lost so many amazing people this year. I mean, I I mentioned on the on the last podcast episode that uh, you know Chadwick Boseman passed away. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg obviously was was a huge huge loss. I mean, Sean Connery passed away. Eddie Van Halen, and and the other day, we actually lost. Alex Trebek, uh, the host of Jeopardy for, I think, 30, was it 36 years? And, you know, it's interesting. 
I'll just I'll I'll, I'll say something real quick about Alistair Beck. I think he was one of the last truly non-polarizing people in American pop culture, and I, I think that you know he's he was a guy that everyone could agree was just a consummate professional, was extremely likable, made you smile, made you laugh, and the Jeopardy show. I I mean I I'm a I'm a I'm a, uh, a you know a huge nerd and I I lo- I used to love when I was a kid just like well you know while I ate dinner with my folks just you know watching Jeopardy and trying to guess along with the answers and I remember you know you, once in a while you get a, a geography question and you think oh my gosh we you know we covered this in school and you feel great about yourself and even even as an adult I mean when my friends and I would uh, would pregame on the weekends. You know, most people would listen to dubstep or trap music and chill with their friends. Like we would literally this this is the dorkiest thing ever, but we would go online, they have a website, j-archives.org, where they have every single Jeopardy game board ever in history, and they have all the questions. And we would go online and we try to answer all the questions on on you know a particular game board. We make it into like a competition. I misspoke, it was actually j-archive.com. And we'd um you know, we'd essentially have like piles of pennies. Uh, if you get a question right, you get a penny. Uh, the penny, you know, is like a, an imaginary dollar amount. And then you, at the end of the game for Final Jeopardy, you like, you would, you know, bet how, however many pennies you, you, you want to wager. And we'd compete, me and a couple of friends, to see who, who did the best. And um, especially now, in an era where meme culture is at an all-time high and there's a competition to see who can have the funniest tweet and the best hashtag, you know, I think a show like Jeopardy with, you know, under the leadership of Al Trebek kind of shows you that it's cool to be smart. Like knowledge is, is sexy. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna miss him. He was a big part of my childhood. Yeah, even I remember so I didn't grow up with a Nintendo sixty four or Sonic you know, uh, what's the Sonic one again? Um, Sega, Sega Dreamcast or whatever, like my friends, I had, uh, computer games, like I would, and it wasn't even like, like my parents got them for me. I asked for them. I had the, the Jeopardy computer game. Um, and I just remember on, uh, we had an old like windows desktop computer from like the mid, mid late nineties. And I would just like sit, sit up in that room and, um, you know, click through all the answers uh, trying to, you know, try to get the questions. It was, yeah, it was, it was a big part of my childhood. I'm, I'm going to miss, um, I'm going to miss Alex Trebek a lot. And, uh, he obviously battled, uh, pancreatic cancer for, for a very long time and, um, passed away, <sighs> passed away, uh, you know, surrounded by his family. So we, we extend our condolences to, um, to his wife and, you know his children and and the whole clan. Um, it's tough. It's been it's been a it's been a very very hard year, and I mean change is on the horizon. You know, I think it's going to be the holidays are going to be different in twenty twenty compared to years past. I mean, people will be surrounded by their family for Thanksgiving and and for Christmas, Hanukkah. Um, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, but you know, people are going to have to be cautious quarantining before they go home to see their parents, right? You don't want to put them at risk. Um, And then 
probably smaller gatherings than years past. You're not going to have, you know, office Christmas parties or probably not going to have the entire extended family at Thanksgiving dinner. So yeah, I do think it's going to be it's going to be different and think about New Year's. I mean, New Year's has always been, you know, a chance to either go to a New Year's party with your friend or go to an open bar for New Year's, go to a New Year's dinner, a New Year's dinner party, have something at your house. Like that's not going to happen this year. You know, I mean, this is the first year in my lifetime I was just thinking, yeah, like you can, there's not going to be you know a crowd standing in time. Or presumably, I mean there might be, but uh, you wouldn't think there's going to be a crowd of people standing outside watching the ball drop. Although I guess if it's outside and people are wearing masks, I, I could also see I could see that being more acceptable. I just can't imagine the amount of people coming from around the world to celebrate New Year's like they have in the past. Um, it's going to be different. Yeah, I, I I think the holidays are going to be different this year. And, you know, last year when I recorded the November check-in and sort of rounded, um, you know, sort of closed the book on the year, I implored all you guys to be grateful and, um, you know, think about what you have and not what you don't and all that stuff. And I know, like, this, this year it probably is it, – it's probably, like, really – really difficult especially if you've lost loved ones you know if if you've been affected seriously affected by the coronavirus um if you know your mental health your emotional wellness has you know hasn't been good this year it's probably really hard to think about what you should be grateful for and perhaps you know fittingly here as i as i've round out this podcast i'm looking out the window and it's raining. <laughs> I can see uh I can see, you know, raindrops falling from the from the sky. But I do think that you guys should think about right now, you know, look back, reflect on the year and everything that you've been through and store that in the back of your mind because next year in a couple months when, you know, the sun comes out and things are looking up. I think that you'll appreciate. Everyone will appreciate. I think fewer people will take for granted and be more grateful for friends and for family and for your health. Right? I mean, never before has... You know, I don't think, I think the most important thing to be grateful for this year, given coronavirus, is the health, you know, your health and the health of your loved ones, um, you know, and, and 230,000 people have been, um, you know, have passed away in this country from the coronavirus. I, uh... You know, I mean, President-elect Biden talks a lot about how there's an empty seat at the dinner table in a lot of homes in America. Um, I know that I'm I'm grateful. I'm I'm very grateful for uh, for my health and the health of health of my loved ones. And to all those listening, I want to wish all of you guys a very happy Thanksgiving. 
Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy Winter Solstice, St. Nicholas Day, Kwanzaa, the Festivus, Festivus for the rest of us, um, Three Kings Day is apparently a thing as well, Canadian, the Boxers Day, and a very, very Happy New Year. You know, in uh, you know, in Ecuador, um, for New Year's, families dress a straw man in old clothing on December 31st, and the straw man represents the old year, and they make a will for the straw man that lists all of their faults. But then at midnight, they burn the straw man in the hopes that their faults will disappear with them. Just flip the page and leave the new year behind. I know that's what I'm going to try to do. So, thanks, thanks so much for bearing with me here. I, I, I know it. You know, I start out. I'm like, is this going to be like a 20 minute thing, a 30 minute thing, an hour thing? And then I start talking about politics, and the next thing I know, an hour's gone by. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope to record something in the next month, uh, six weeks. So you might actually end up hearing from me before the end of the year, depending on how exams go and and how my schedule shapes out but just in case you don't wanted to wanted to extend my warm wishes to all of you guys and uh close the book on the second full year of nervous habits podcast um that that's a wrap stay healthy stay happy stay sane and stay nervous take care guys